0: Hi James. Ben, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. I'm doing all right. I had the uh the pleasure of uh something that I don't normally get to do, which is like getting to speak to all the strategy members on a daily update and getting to say I told you so, which doesn't happen very <laughs> often. Well, usually you usually we restrict your I told you so's to the
1: podcast, which we will get to in a moment. But yes, you did write for the daily update this this week. There is a link in the show notes for it wasn't daily update, which is usually for pay, but there is a link in the show notes to a free version of that for folks to check it out, which but we will get to it in a moment. For now I want to thank MailChimp for sponsoring this version of this version this this episode of exponent (laughs) as they do every week mailchimp has been around since 2001 the company started as a side project funded by various web development jobs now they're the world's leading email marketing platform and they send more than a billion emails away billion emails a day mailchimp democratizes technology for small businesses creating innovative products that empower our customers to grow and as i've said all along this sponsorship is Particularly meaningful to me because Mailchimp is the provider that I use for trajectory. So, our thanks to Mailchimp for sponsoring Exponent. Awesome. So this week, I thought we'd talk about a new a new topic on Exponent. A new a new topic. What
0: did you have in mind, Ben?
1: There, there's this there's this burgeoning company in Silicon Valley called Facebook.
0: We which we uh, I don't think we ever we've ever talked about them before. Do Facebook? Do you mean the Facebook? I don't think we've talked about it either. (laughs) I mean, obviously, being a bit
1: sarcastic, we've probably talked about we we've there's probably no company we've talked about more. And so I already know some aspect of our listener base is annoyed because we talk about them a lot. But it's interesting to
0: think about why do we talk about Facebook a lot? Well, I think I I mean the. They are potentially right now the most powerful company in the world in terms of its ability to impact society, its reach, the number of eyeballs it has, the fact that there are places in the world where people don't realize the internet is not Facebook. It is probably the company that is most powerful in the world and is the standard bearer for how tech is impacting society, which is, which is the, the point of this podcast. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about that because
1: I I, I kind of said the same thing in uh, – I wrote a piece this week about this manifesto that Mark Zuckerberg wrote called Manifestos of Monopolies. Uh, hopefully, you've everyone listening has read it. If not, the link is in the show notes. Please do read. And I said in there, yeah, Facebook is one of the most powerful companies. And you think about it like the, the sort of most powerful company – Discussion has always been like the history of tech has always been Microsoft, right? In the mm-hmm. in the eighties and nineties and, and and early aughts, and I think from a control of like their their world sort of perspective, that's true. But the reason why saying Facebook is the most powerful in some respects, you know, there's kind of that ongoing discussion about where's the measurement, where is the pro, where's the impact on productivity mm-hmm. statistics, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff, right? And mm-hmm. and the argument is always well, there's all this massive customer surplus that's being generated by these companies, right? 98% of Google searches are not monetized or some number like that, right? But what's the value of having all any information at any time at the tip of your fingers, right? What's the value of being connected with with friends and family and businesses and communities and stuff as Facebook enables that most people don't pay for? And a lot of people around the world aren't really you know, monetized to an extent. I mean, more and more in the U.S., but, but the point is there's a ton of customer surplus, right? And if you step away from the sort of economic discussion of these companies, because from an economic perspective, I think Microsoft still remains and probably will always have been sort of the most the most powerful company just because everything about the Windows sort of platform was so tied into Windows itself, right? Whereas Facebook, the power that I think to understand why we can say that Facebook is the most powerful comes back to that sort of measurement challenge that we have we know that Facebook's the economic value generated by these companies is far greater than what they're capturing there's a lot of debate as to how you figure that out mm-hmm. but i think the easiest way to see it is to see the broader impact and we i mean we kind of talked about this two weeks ago right you know we talked about the 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 inspiring media this idea that Facebook has transformed it's interesting to look at politics because politics is is a competition, right? But the payout is not money per se. The payout is winning elections. Right. And when you see the impact that like Facebook for example has had on our politics, you realize that the influence and power of this platform is far greater than than even its, you know, its income statement would seem to suggest.
0: Right. And I, yes, that is absolutely. The the interesting thing is like you're starting to see society and people's views shaped and it's not necessarily, I mean, yes, as people will point out, the algorithms are coded by humans, but traditionally to have this kind of influence, there needed to be a Puppet master, so to speak, at the string. Someone who had an opinion and was using their ability to control distribution to push that opinion. And what's like this is a this is a new version of that where people are self-selecting into the types of things they believe in and it's reinforcing confirmation biases and it's resulting in this massive polarization and it's uh, yeah like you totally see it in in the last election like that's where it really came to the front and facebook Copped a fair bit of criticism as a result of it too. It's a great point because I think there's you know we've gone
1: back we have we've had lots of varied debates about Facebook and and various aspects of it which we will you certainly retouch in in today's podcast. But I think the one thing where and I think you've really brought me around to your side to appreciate the danger here is you know my even if Facebook's focus and I think it has been their focus has been on driving engagement right and to me that's always been. Uh, a, a bit of comfort because at least they're you know they' are driven by the, the need to like drive profit right and you right. drive profit by people on the platform and yep. yes, and that there are significant bad effects from that, right the filter bubble is one mm. where you you it reinforces giving you the things that you want to see or the things that outrage you or whatever it might be and and you mm. end up with a you know a, a fee that looks very different than than say the person next to you and the other one is, is, you know, we talk about this in the context of the fake news, right? I mean, I've always been a little less. The thing with the fake news controversy that I've always had a problem with is not that denying that it exists, clearly it exists, but rather once you understand the role that confirmation bias and driving engagement plays in the generation of fake news and why it's even like a viable sort of thing out there, is it's telling people what they already believe right and so my my argument against fake news has always been it's not that fa- i'm saying fake news is is okay of course it's not okay like having bad facts is not okay but i've always been very skeptical of the impact it had on say at a specific election because the people mm. who are seeing it are people yeah. who who already believe that right and and i don't think it was actually changing anyone's mind
0: yeah, I I agree. I agree. The polarization had already taken place, and probably had already taken place in part because of the filter bubble like i'm starting to get like it's no longer the case that i have a balanced perspective that's presented to me and we're sharing the same news feeds or there are a limited number of sources so they tend more towards the center as opposed to going out towards the extreme this is playing into people's uh it's it's playing extreme views it's allowing confirmation bias and then that becomes fertile ground for fake news to exist and i think if you were to it kind of annoyed me the way that those two things were conflated during the election i really think that uh, although it's easier to get more outraged about the fake news the filter bubbles and like the reinforcing of your own views and playing to what you already believe and causing people to become more crystallized in extreme views is a much bigger problem than the fake news Right, and there's one – just one little point I'm going to pick on you, uh, on what you mm. just said, uh, just
1: because mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting thing – a point to make. Is you mentioned, it used to be when you had a limited number of news sources, everyone would get balanced news, right? Mm. I may That may or may not be true. I don't want to get mm. into a debate about, about bias in the media. I think actually the proper way to frame it, though, is everyone got the same news. Yeah. And so regardless of whether it was balanced or not or whether it was biased or not – the fact mattered that everyone was starting from the same place, right? Yeah. And yes, maybe some people on one side or the other thought, said, oh, it's super biased, that's not right. But it's like what? there's only so far you can diverge when you're sort of starting from the same place. And the difference now is not that there's more extreme news per se, it's that we're starting from very different places which makes it that much harder to sort of end up in in, in anywhere in the same sort of locale if that makes
0: sense yeah yeah I th- I think your pushback is spot on I think you're absolutely right there was media bias and there are some pretty oh incredible I, I, examples. I I I said I didn't want to get into the debate if there's media bias I oh, no, but no I think no.
1: the, uh, the I, I I think the media by and large tried to be balanced we've talked about this huh. how it, it it applied in both directions right there are hmm. lots of people and and news stories that were never even covered, right? But – which was part of the problem. But the the broader reality is that they weren't covered for everyone, right? Or something was covered for everyone. And we could argue about that news, about whether it was biased or not. But the point is we were arguing about the same
0: thing. Now we're not even arguing about the same things. Yeah, I mean, the, bless, uh, the blessing and the curse of the internet, right, is making distribution free. And I guess what I meant to say, and you, you're you right to pull me up on Balanced, is that, and I, I come back to maybe this podcast versus radio stations, like you were driving around in a geographic locale and there were only a certain number of radio stations, so they would tend towards the middle a little bit more to try and attract as a broad an audience. And now the internet has just made it so you can you can go off, way out into the fringes and you can you can attract a really big audience like that's what the that's that's the difference between then and now absolutely i think that that's very good
1: i think we're we're totally on this on the same page as as far as that goes and so but i think you you also mentioned something that i think is really really important you noted that the it was easier sort of get outraged about fake news than about maybe like filter bubbles Mm. and and the uh, you know, there was so much outrage, particularly right after the election. And it kind of felt like people, Facebook was such an obvious thing to blame in fake news. People were so, uh, particularly in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley obviously had a very sort of uh, specific point of view on the election, I think is fair <laughs> to say. And I think there was like, they're the, looking for someone to blame. And, mm. And I think Facebook was a very easy and attractive target. And by all accounts, the sort of not just external of Facebook, but internal of Facebook, people within Facebook, I think, have been very distressed about the role Facebook may or may not have played in the last election. And I think there's some aspect of that. I think that's important context for understanding how this manifesto came about and why Zuckerberg is writing it now.
0: Yeah, okay. I I I would agree with that. I you know, it's funny, I didn't think of that context when I when I read this, but I think it's entirely spot on. It actually makes a lot of sense. So, to get to the manifesto, uh Z- and Mark Zuckerberg,
1: it's it's very interesting because there's there's different parts to this. Most the vast majority of the manifesto is an articulation of certain goals and community Communities That Facebook wants to drive. And that part of it is actually, by and large, seems relatively innocuous. But that is why, in my estimation, it's really important to actually look at the framing and the introduction to this because that framing and introduction is very political. The framing that that Zuckerberg has here is that he has the Mark Zuckerberg theory of human history, which is basically we've started like of ever greater groups where we start from individuals and then tribes and then cities and then nations, and then now it's like global. And and in his estimation, it's this sort of unending march of progress as he would frame it. And now today we ought to be becoming more global. Our greatest opportunities are global and our greatest challenges are global. And you know, he says it right there. Progress now, this is a quote Progress now requires humanity coming together, not just as cities or nations, but also as a global community. And then he frames Facebook as being a critical piece of accomplishing that. You know, his quote to begin The most important thing we at Facebook could do is develop the social infrastructure to give people the power to build a global community that works for all of us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, I mean- yeah. You, you, uh, like I can't help but read that in the context of what happened a few months ago. Uh, at the same time, like if you if you were to put uh, put that aside, the fact that even there are folks even at Facebook that feel conflicted about what happened a couple of like with the election, like put all that aside. Like I think it is. I think it is phenomenal. Like, I identify with this. Um, I identify with lots of it. I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't think, for example, that history is, like, in broad sweeps, that is correct. But it's been far from a linear thing uh, in history where human beings come together. I mean, you have to only go back to the 1920s, which was this golden era, um, where there was trade, there was free movement of people. It was almost a more global era than what, what we experience right now. And then the, the, the great depression hit and it just completely frayed. It's, it's easy for all these things to happen. For, for us to to be, and I think this is a point that's come up in the podcast before, to, to, to be positively inclined towards diversity and inclusion when the pie is growing and everyone feels like they're doing well. But as soon as things, as soon as people start feeling like they're being left behind, it goes from growing the pie mode into dividing the pie mode and separating things out. And that's part of what it feels like has happened the last little while. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd go, I'd go, I'd go further than that. I mean, I think the the world was
1: very united under the Roman Empire, and then we had a thousand years of like of like yeah. fiefdoms. I mean, or yeah. I mean, there's the Ottoman Empire and the Mongols and whatnot. But like the like, I I, I don't want to get into a political debate. Like, I think this is an incredibly simplistic mm. view of history. I think the presumption of progress is dangerous. I think because it, it rolls you into a sense of Inevitability. Well, not just inevitability, but you become lazy and, 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 and you become yeah. – you don't know how to handle people who don't understand and differ with you because you can't understand why isn't it so obvious to them. This is the way it ought to be. And you lose sight that you have to work for progress. Progress is something that needs yeah. to be fought for. It's not inevitable. Anyhow. The point is, I don't want to get in a political debate. And the point I would take away from that is, this is a very, very, very political statement. It's unbelievably political. We can, I could have a philosophical debate for days with Mark Zuckerberg about what he said here. Well, and I mean, it, the point yeah. is not, but the point is not to have that debate. It's to observe that he is presenting this as a sort of. Obviously, this is the case, and just skating over the fact there, this is the first four or five paragraphs manifesto are as political as you can get. There is a point of view on the world, there is an agenda here, there are implications of that, and it's presented as fate accomplish.
0: And, 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 and yeah, that's yeah.
1: why that's what, that's
0: what so many people are missing about because they agree with him. I, you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you. Like this is the flip side. This is our side of the filter bubble, right? Like the reason people aren't reacting to this is because all the people who are, all the people who are in Silicon Valley who are getting their version of the same newsfeed. Uh, all agree with every every everything that he's saying. In fact, agree with it to the point where it's not even registering, it's not even setting off the antibodies like they are with you. And I th- I suspect that's part of partly because of your background and where you've come from and both uh well in particular the intellectual journey that you've been on going from conservative to if I'm to characterize it and I hope I'm not being unfair to to having a more uh liberal standpoint. But What's interesting is if you sat down with, I mean, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to watch everybody's, oh, I'm not going to, no, if you had a chance to watch Steve Bannon at the CPAC, like if you were to, char- if he, if you were to get him to characterize why he, what, what the point of view was that got Trump into the White House, it's economic nationalism, which stands in complete contrast to so much of what, what Zuckerberg has written here. Well, I mean, I, I would I, one. I I would push back against any attempt to label
1: my politics. For one, sorry, sorry, no, no, I, no, it's it's fine. I'm happy to point it out because I take okay. pride in the fact I'm not easily labeled because I'm not okay. gonna, I'm not going to follow any team, frankly. Yep. For one, it, it seems very it's very difficult to read this manifesto and not take it as like in opposition to Trump and what Trump represents, right? Like that's clearly the context for this, and. And I think you kind of fell into this, presuming that there's only two choices in the world, right? There's, I, you didn't say this, I'm not sure you meant this, but the kind of how you expressed it, like there's the Zuckerberg view of the world and there's the Trump view of the world. And mm. I would, I personally reject both if we want to get into the politics of it. I don't, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I don't think progress is inevitable. And I don't know that we humans can, you know, that there's going to be a global society with a global government, whether it's Facebook, whatever it might be. Like I, I think there's very real, I think, one, progress has to be fought for and worked for, and it's not inevitable. And if you actually understand human history, you can see that we go up, forward, and we go backwards. And two, you could make an argument that the internet's going to enable a, devol- a devolution of power, where you're actually going to have lots of small communities that no longer need to be large nation-states, right? You can make an argument that large nation-states are tied up with mass media and are tied up with big conglomerations that the whole post-World War II order that I've talked about that I think is you – know, com- the foundations are completely shaken by the internet. Why aren't large nations shaken by – I don't know. Again, we could, we could go on about the politics and the, f- the philosophy mm. of this for ages. The point that I want to land though is that this is political. It's very political. It's the most political. It's more political than talking about tax rates. It's more political than talking about gun laws. It's more political than talking about any number of things that we think of as politics. This is the core of politics, and it's as political a statement as you can
0: possibly write. You're, I agree. I totally agree. Uh, the, you're right. It was it was how I characterized it as opposed to what I thought. And reaching back to that 1920s, 1930s, which is a period of time that I'm absolutely fascinated in. I it's it's like clear. And then your examples of the Roman Empire. It's clear that the progress isn't inevitable. But here's another here's another element of the flip side of Silicon Valley. I mean, it is phenomenal on on, on some level. It is just phenomenal that you can have. Twenty something year olds come here and completely, um, completely shake the planet in terms of the impact they have. There's there's very few places like it than uh, then, uh, you, where your ability to do that is in the United States, and particularly in the San Francisco Bay Area, because of the nature of tech. But the downside is this: that that you you have that limited amount of time, and you've gone to school and you've studied engineering, and not to knock that, I think it's phenomenal. Or in the but case of
1: Zuckerberg, left left school left, early,
0: right? But like, there's all this stuff that you don't know, like like the the if you haven't been interested in it or you haven't been exposed to it, and Typically, by the time you're 40-something or 50-something, your exposure to a bunch of different things is increased. But when you're that young, you lack that exposure and you don't even realize the things you don't realize. And that's how you end up making these statements that are political without even realizing that they are. It's such a great observation. And like so so many people in tech have
1: taken the shortcut of rather than think deeply and come up with their own political philosophy, they have just adopted – the philosophy of Silicon Valley as a whole, right? Why? Cuz th- that's what it's what we do. We we do stuff, we focus on what we focus on and we take shortcuts everywhere else. That's not a criticism, that's the way humans function, right? I've made that argument in the context of tech, right? It's so uh, the reason I stop using the term normals as far as people who aren't techies in in in, in technology <laughs> is cuz it's I I dislike the sort of how it sounds. I don't like the The implications of
0: it. It's like Harry Potter. What's the term for people who aren't magicians? Muggles. Muggles, yeah. It's like kind of derogatory. Yeah, and, and the reason is that
1: normal people, it's not that they're dumb. It's that they care about other stuff. They care about their jobs. They care about their occupations. They care about their family. They don't have time to mess around with configuring crap, right? Hmm. This has always been Apple's great insight in the market and they just works in the stores and all that sort of stuff. And everyone talks like, oh, you know, the feeds and speeds and blah, 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 And when, when Jobs would criticize the feeds and speeds mindset, this is what he's talking about. People don't want technology to muck hmm. around with technology and ring the last performance on it. They want technology to make their day-to-day lives better. Right. And and you turn that around, you turn that around though and apply it to technologists, the exact same principle applies. They've devoted their life to technology. They devoted their life to understanding the intricacies of how these things work. By definition, they have not devoted their life to political philosophy. They have not devoted their life to the day to day goings on of, of of
0: of what you know people's people's lives. That's what's so interesting about Apple though, right? Like they are the one tech company that specifically states that it's marrying technology with the liberal arts. Like and that's almost a unique point of view out here and you contrast that with the insight that Zuckerberg had about human behavior that one insight he had at the start and how he used that, like he, he got it from living his life and he used that to build the company. But there has been none of that continual exposure around things. Like everything is then being reduced to A B testing and seeing how people interact and optimizing around that. And you've lost all that richness that, that you're describing the, the philosophy and all the other elements to life that there's so much value in. But because there's not a direct link between what he's doing right now and that he's not ex- he's not ex- necessarily exposing himself to it, and then you end up with this statement, right? And, and I think you made the critical point just a few minutes ago. The issue is not the statement
1: per se, and we can have an argument about it, like mm. whether whether what he says is right or wrong. Again, the the, the critical point is that that you and you said exactly this. Is I'm not even sure to what extent he appreciated zuckerberg appreciated how political his statement was it's it's the it's not whether it was right or wrong it's that this was super duper political and and to what extent did he even appreciate that and to what extent did people reading it appreciate that yeah so the reason this matters that was a very sort of long introduction is one of the core debates of for this podcast in with regards to Facebook is to what extent ought there be some sort of regulation? Because I think mm. we've both appreciated that Facebook has massive power and that power again is not just economic power. It's, it's the reason why it mattered that we all have the same news is because it matters what we see. It, 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 it's the reason why advertising works. I was like, Oh, advertising doesn't affect me. It does affect you. I'm sorry. What you see affects you in usually, the most effective advertising is subconscious you don't even realize the effect it's having on you you just end up choosing you know that laundry detergent because you 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 think you wanted to say oh i'm so smart
0: i chose this but no you you were influenced. You don't even know you were influenced. Oh, yeah. We, we could go through a litany of different things, though, proving this point. And we can go well beyond the realm of, of the, the relatively mundane of advertising. There's propaganda that you've seen through wars. There's subliminal advertising that they played in theaters that had to be banned. And I I always love this example of like going to a regime where you have censorship which is the ultimate control of what people see and you talk to them about things and they don't even realize like the Tiananmen example in China or if you ever visit and speak to folks in North Korea like it's like they're like they don't even have the same basis of fact it's they are living in a different world I mean I guess the point I'm trying to make is if you control what people see like you are so much closer to controlling what they think and people don't necessarily make that connection.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree, and and I you know I I always push back on you that the ten example is a little extreme because it is extreme, but uh-huh. I think the point is it is on a gradient, right? There is some aspect yeah. to, and and I would again I would just go back to even looking at the same news, even if you and I both read the New York Times and I think the New York Times is great and you think the New York Times is super biased and left-wing and you know, all the things that conservatives tr- traditionally said about it, the fact that we're both reading the New York Times means we're actually much closer even if we disagree with what we're reading, right? Because we're mm. starting with a common basis. Yep. I think if I can characterize your position, you've always been very... Cons- well, I would say we've both been concerned about this. I've been very hesitant about... Regulation, in part because of the power here, because this is yeah. speech, the last thing I want is the government interfering with, oh yeah, like Trump with his hands
0: at the machines, right right like imagine imagine, imagine trump
1: with 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 any sort of degree of control over the over what we see on Facebook, right? It's hugely problematic and and so I think that's been our we i think we've both been mostly agreed we just fall on slightly different sides of a balance right if there's like a seesaw or whatever where yeah. you've been more concerned with the power I've been more concerned with the potential
0: abuse of power particularly from a government perspective. Is that is that a fair way to characterize it? I I think so. I would add that you've you've always maintained that the economic incentives would also prevent the folks inside of Facebook from abusing it. Right, exactly. And that's always been
1: sort of my comfort in this. Is that Facebook putting its its hand on the scale would be so bad for the company from an economic perspective that they wouldn't do it? Now, again, or do algorithms have bias because they're created by humans? Oh, yes, they do. I'm not in are there bad effects of a quote unquote neutral algorithm that's focused on engagement? Yes, we just talked about that. Filter bubbles and mm. fake news. But to me, those costs, which were significant costs, and I acknowledge they were costs, did not rise to the level of of interference with that just because the the alternative of Making Facebook into an explicitly political actor to me was worse for all the reasons we we just stated and so as long as Facebook was motivated and if they did that, what would happen if Facebook started becoming political they would we saw it last may when the there was even an allegation that the trending topics thing was was tilted and again, my read of that is I don't think actually i think that was an i think that was someone who was super non objective making a complaint to gizmodo that was
0: unverified and unproven yeah and and it certainly i think it was somewhat and perhaps even disgruntled uh i can't remember exactly but there was a hint of disgruntled in it as well so so you saw how facebook reacted right they went like way overboard in their meeting
1: with all these people and they're gonna make all these changes and they end up like deleting the whole section which was ridiculous, with you know or the whole team which i think was ridiculous but regardless the the clearly they were motivated very strongly to not give any appearance of impropriety or bias. And so, and so I f- took that episode as like confirmation of uh, of my position that Facebook has such – has these level of incentives to not put its hand on the scale, that even though the potential for abuse of power was there, one, there wasn't evidence that they were engaging it. Two, the alternative, the any sort of like government regulation was worse. And three – the incentives would stop face would do it and we have evidence that, that that's
0: worked. And I remain still with you on the the um the regulation piece. Like I, I feel like it is such an easy answer. People reach for the sledgehammer and I'm probably guilty of this too, even on this podcast. Like you reach for the sledgehammer because it's like just such an attractive tool. It's like I'm just going to smash this problem into oblivion. But you take out so much stuff around it, and you don't know what you're going to break half the time. Unintended consequences are a very real thing. So I, I, I particularly still am with you on being very cautious around reaching for the regulation tool. Right, and so, so I think what's changed here, and we'll
1: get into my position and proposed remedies for the Facebook mm. Facebook as they are. But what's, what's really – the reason why this manifesto really sort of tripped my trigger, as it were, is for all the reasons we just discussed, we now have the CEO of Facebook, the effectively unaccountable CEO of Facebook, complete control of the board, obviously no, no, no sort of like – he's not elected, <laughs> not, not even by shareholders, not even by the board, basically making mm. – extremely political statements and then saying he is going to use Facebook to achieve them. And again, let me be super-duper clear. There's a lot of people that agree with Mark Zuckerberg's politics, and they agree with his proposals. And my argument is even if you agree, this should terrify you. The issue is not whether Mark Zuckerberg – and this is why we are kind of – us getting into a debate about his political points was – self-defeating as far as this mm. podcast goes because the point is not whether he's right or wrong the point is the massive concentration of power that Facebook holds being used for unaccountable political ends
0: this is very bad i i i mean obviously i totally agree and i guess in this and i've brought i've brought him up a couple of times and he's obviously different to zuckerberg in a number of ways but i think the advantage that i had in this debate um was was the the living through what it was like with Rupert Murdoch in Australia and the impact he had on Australian life as he concentrated so much media power. And it, it's interesting because his evol- there was an evolution that happened as well. So there's this really fascinating interview that happened with the Australian Broadcast um, uh, Company, the Australian National Broadcaster, all the way back in 1967. And there's a quote that I want to read of Murdoch's about this, which is, I think the important thing is that there is plenty of newspapers with plenty of different people controlling them so there's a variety of viewpoints so there's a choice for the public there is freedom of the press that is needed freedom of the press mustn't be one-sided just for a publisher to speak as he pleases to try and bully the community and what's interesting i mean i would agree with a lot of what murdoch says but his point of view changes and that's exactly what could happen with zuckerberg here you don't want You don't want all that power concentrated in the hands of one person because, A, as Murdoch demonstrated, they don't always act in their financial best interests. They're more interested in other things once they get to this point of extreme wealth. But B, they can change their minds, and if they have that much power, and if they are entirely unaccountable, and they change their minds, like what, like what do you do? You have no recourse. I don't care if they change their minds. Though. I, I would, I, I, my, my
1: concern is, is, is even ahead of that. The issue is not whether I agree or or don't agree with with Zuckerberg. The issue is that no one person, no one company can can and this is a this is a political statement on my part but i don't believe any one person can know the best possible outcome chart the best possible path for other people for other countries for the entire world the reason why i do believe in markets and i believe in in capitalism is the pursuit of multiple options the entire point of it, it, they're, they're, let me give you an example. I, so I think this this is this was really interesting that um, Tim, Wu, very famous for coining the term net neutrality and and, and arguing about this, was mm-hmm. on a podcast with Ezra Klein uh, a couple months ago. A great interview. I love Quine's podcast in general in part because he gets people such a wide range of viewpoints that I think it, mm. it's really fascinating. It's a good discussion. But Tim Wu said something to the effect of uh, he was working in Washington, and then he went to work in Silicon Valley in the dot-com era. And he's like, I went there, and like, everyone's like, these guys are so smart. It's like, they weren't any smarter than anyone else. And I don't understand this whole point that the private sector is better because they're not smarter than people in government. And this was, and, and this was such – this is such a mischaracterization of, of the belief in, in markets. And the mischaracterization is no one, the, the point of, of people like me who believe this is not that people are smarter in the private sector. I don't think that at all. I think there's tons of smart people in the public sector. The, 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 the point, though, is that is, is the, no one is smart enough. The entire idea mm. is that no mm. one knows everything. And so the best thing to do is to shoot a hundred, let a thousand flowers bloom, let a million flowers bloom, let people experiment and figure out All kinds of potential solutions because that's the best way to find the best one. My belief in the market is not that some people, is that people in the private sector are smarter than those in the government sector. My belief is that everyone's stupid, right? Like, I actually start from the very opposite side. No one knows everything. And because no one knows everything, the more experiments, the better. And my critique of having the government do too much, as it were, is that it forecloses opportunity. It's not that the people in government are dumb or have bad intentions, quite the opposite. It's that they're smart and that they have good intentions, but that no one ever, not Mark Zuckerberg, not Bill Gates, not Ben Thompson, not Barack Obama, not Donald Trump, no one knows everything. And the best way to ensure human progress, to the point that we discussed before, is to allow for experimentation, to allow for trying new things. And the danger is not in – the danger is the foreclosure of opportunity costs. It's all the things that don't happen, that aren't tried, mm. the alternatives that aren't figured out. And, and that, that, that it's something that, that – it was distressing to hear – it was distressing and enlightening to hear Oof frame his – his critique of the private sector in that way. No one, anyone who argues that people in the private sector are smarter than the government are just as stupid as it or it's a stupid argument because the argument is that no one is smart.
0: Yeah. I I I couldn't agree with any I couldn't agree with you more what you just said. Like that is the whole basis of a capitalist system and that is the basis of why a central command and control economies have never performed in the same way when you unleash the spirit of human entrepreneurialism now that's not to say that there isn't a role for government in making sure absolutely yeah I'm not a crazy libertarian on one side no government no, 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 just I know. to be clear no no, no, no. I, and I wasn't meaning to suggest that you were like there is a role for government in ensuring that the nature of the experiments that are, being, that are happening are in a productive way that everyone's benefiting from but I couldn't agree with you and I to to just to uh, allow me to defend myself a little bit. I wasn't saying that um, agree or not agree. I think that there were lots of folks in Silicon Valley or, and potentially more broadly that that in the current climate where it feels like well the presidency's gone, the house is gone, the senate's gone, Britain's exiting the European Union, there are the rise of these right wing governments everywhere. Like, oh, wow, look, we can attach to this guy. We agree with what he is saying and here's our opportunity to push back. And I I was like, I so dangerous because you allow that much control to get vested in one person, then you lose all of what you just said all the benefit that you can potentially get from having that creativity unleashed because it becomes centralized. Right, because there's
1: two costs. There's always two costs to everything, right? And the most easiest thing to reach for when it comes to the dangers of centralized power is the overt costs. Mm -hmm. And you could point to like, you know, communist Russia or U- USSR or like yeah. Mao in China, right? In the in the and like, oh, look at all these people that were that were killed. And yes, that that is a queer cost. And no, I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg is going to, uh, you know, kill yeah. lots of people, no. right? And again, that's I'm just like you with <laughs> the Tetrad Square thing. I'm taking it to the total extreme. Sure, but I think the cost that is so easily overlooked, particularly when you agree with the. The person in power, you know, and, and is the opportunity cost is the, well, there's two, there, actually there's two, I'd say there's three costs. So the first cost is the, is the overt cost that we talked about. The second cost that you kind of refer to is the cost of like changing your mind or in the, well, you see this in the US, what if someone that you disagree with comes to power, right? The reason mm-hmm. to oppose, say, Barack Obama's executive orders is, that oh is not because you disagree with executive orders, is because what happens if a president comes along who does executive orders you disagree with, right? Wouldn't it be nice if there was not a precedent for for
0: you know powerful executive orders? the surveillance the suv- the government surveillance is the perfect example of that right now which is like oh i'm okay with i'm okay with uh, obama reading my stuff but oh my god oh, oh now i've changed my mind entirely like you have to assume it could come from both ends well immigration i mean obama yeah. obama did an executive uh, did a very
1: far reaching executive order that was curtailed by the courts basically allowing vastly more immigration or what many more undocumented immigrants to stay, and and it's basically the mirror of what's happening now, right? Maybe it would have been better if that power didn't exist at all. Mm. Worth considering.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So the so that's that's kind of part two is like, what if someone else has this power? But yeah, then part three is this is this sort of you know impassioned defense of capitalism. I just went on where is the opportunity cost? Is the things that don't happen because. That area is closed down. I mean, and this is so. This is something that everyone in tech should get because the number one example of the power of innate of not imposing opportunity costs is v- venture capital and and startups in general. Right, the entire business model of venture capital is appreciating that the downside is capped, but the upside is unlimited. When you invest. $30 million into Facebook or in, into Slack or Snapchat or Google or whatever company it might have been, the most you can lose is $30 million. The most you can gain is – it's uncapped. A lot. That's yeah. why it's such a great business because you're making uneven bets, right? It's supposed to be that when you make a bet, like a, your upside equals your downside, right? The, 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 the entire point of venture capital is you can make unfair bets, you can make bets where the upside is greater than the downside and the upside is always greater than the downside the downside is capped it's 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 zero and and this is the so this idea should be something that matters to people in tech the the fact that in tech for example you can switch jobs there's no like uh, you can't sign a, a a contract that that prevents you from that's not impossible in california in california right? in california anyway right all these things that go into making silicon valley what it is are all about the reason why they're so effective is cuz they maximize the upside or they, they 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 limit the caps on the upside i should say mm. anyhow <laughs> we we had an outline here we've made it i think we made it about 1 point in but the oh, we, we're less than that the, so the reason i've kind of come around to your point of your point of view is 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 this is because facebook is doing what i thought they wouldn't do or mark zuckerberg is doing Frankly, what I thought I wouldn't do. He is basically he just vowed to use Facebook for political ends. And again, it doesn't matter whether or not I agree with his political ends. Again, I I am the poster child for the benefits of globalization in a globalized world. Over the last three weeks, I've been on three continents. Uh, I've I'm sitting here talking to you. It's going to be shared all over the world. My website is read all over the world. I live in Taiwan. Into, like believe me, like I I I can see the benefits of this point of view. So my, my op, it's not about opposing a point of view. It's about someone with so much power actively leveraging that power to push a
0: point of view, whatever that point of view might be. It's crazy that it's happening, and it's still not immediately clear that he recognizes that that's what he's doing, and it's only when you dive into it and you you have exposure outside of the bubble such that you can react and actually see that this is a political statement that you recognize that that's what's happening and that's what's crazy about it like it's it's uh, like i don't even know he's really realizing he's doing it so i why have i not wanted you know why have i been opposed why,
1: kind of a hands off approach to facebook even recognize his power i won just in general a, a skepticism of government intervention with these things again because i value very greatly the sort of the foregone opportunity cost in the, the unintended consequences of this sort of action, mm-hmm. and, and also I would say just in general, I'm very skeptical of the of effectiveness of government invention in tech in general. Like the IBM case in the late, late 60s, 70s was a total disaster. The Microsoft mm-hmm. case, and there's a dispute about that, but I, you know, I believe that Microsoft was done in by by the market, yep. and, and they were done in by the pursuit of profit. Right? That, that's the great thing, the wonderful thing about disruption. From a sort of societal point of view, is that by companies, you know, the whole what's so the in, inside of disruption is people do the right thing, and that means their company gets in trouble, Get, right? Yeah. But if you back up, if you don't want companies that have too much power, that's that's a good thing. That's a great that's a great thing to have. That and this goes into my you know kind of the third point that if, as long as Facebook is concerned about their bottom line, they won't use this for political means. Uh, and in, you tie it in with if they pursue the bottom line, eventually you kind of do yourself in. I kind of preferred a
0: hands-off approach. So how'd this happen, James? I would say that your reliance on folks always a, a following or uh, being a, a, a like the bottom line appealing to or controlling or having uh, a motivational power over folks isn't always right. And it's particularly the case that when, these founders, and I like to, like, I think of these, there are certain companies that exit the stratosphere, like Google, Facebook, Apple. When this happens, that the, the distinction between what we would say is incentives, which are more extrinsic motivators, and true motivation, which are much more intrinsic in nature. Like, it's almost like those folks, when they get out of the stratosphere, the gravity of of uh, incentives no longer applies to them and they start thinking about the world differently they start thinking about other things that matter to them like having an impact and you see it time and time again like people like bill gates and warren buffett and so on like doing things that from an incentive point of view seem completely irrational they give all their money away like why would they do that it's because there are these motivators at work and they've got so much money they begin to realize like ultimately that's not what really matters and I see a clear path between the trajectory that Zuckerberg's on and him doing something very similar as well.
1: Yeah, this is a great point. So uh, I had a, a rarity where you, uh, someone else wrote at least part of one of my daily updates, which was you. And the reason why I valued you you writing this, and again, we're going to put a link in the show notes. So even if you're not a subscriber to checkery you can still read it. So you, you can check it out. Uh, and. Basically, your point was, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of restate it in a very mm. sort of explicit sort of terms is what I got wrong, and why I about Facebook and about Zuckerberg is that looking at incentives is a very powerful way to view the world, and it's mm. it's a core part of the way that I do my analysis, and it and it's one of those things where 99% it serves me very well, right, and mm. and I think gives insights that might not be achieved otherwise. But your point is that there's a difference between – and we've talked about it on this podcast – between incentives that where you want to make more money, for example, and motivation where you want to change the world. And folks like Mark Zuckerberg are no longer bound by the desire to make money. And in, in, it's a great point. He's one of the richest people in the world, and he has no like external board control to kind of hold him back. And it's, it, 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 if anything, it's gotten worse, right? There's the, the share sort of reorganization thing last year where he's working so he can keep control without even owning shares, right? So it, it, he's actually explicitly divorcing this sort of thing. And I think that's something – and you're right to nail me on it. That's what I missed. What I missed was what happens when someone with this level of power becomes divorced from the sort of incentives to not abuse that power. And, and it's it's a one. It's something that could have been picked on before he wrote this. Pick picked up on before he wrote this piece, and arguably you did. and Credit to you. And also, part two. It's sort of a reminder. This is why concentrated power is bad because circumstances change and situations change. Yeah, is that a fair summary? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna bask in the glow of that for just a <laughs> second. Sorry. <laughs> So I, I will I, I do want to add oh, there's one other thing that's I think changed my perspective on Facebook. And mm. that is if you think about like there's different I would say there's different types of regulation, right? There's and again, I am not I'm not anti regulation per, per se. I'm instinctually suspicious and the reason I'm suspicious because regulation is very easy to see the benefits. You can measure mm, like mm-hmm. these people are not being hurt, or we're making sure people aren't upset about their haircut or what you know, yeah. like if you want to take away with some of the silly regulations, right? It's very easy to see and to write down and articulate the benefits of regulation. It's very, very difficult to articulate the costs because the cost, by definition, is the stuff that hasn't happened yet and you can't even imagine, right? The whole my whole defense of the market was that. People will come up with solutions that very smart people cannot come up with, and if, if, if very smart people cannot come up with, uh, so, you know what solutions? By definition, they can't articulate the costs. Do, do you see yeah. what I'm saying? Right? It oh, is, totally. It There's is no impossible. counterfactual. Yeah. It's it is it's not just hard. It is impossible to measure the cost of regulation because you don't know what's foregone and. and And again, I'm not saying all regulation is bad. Far from it. I'm just saying I think the way people think about regulation is the reason I'm instinctually against it is not because I think regulation is bad. It's because I'm aware that there are foregone opportunities that I don't know about. And you get in a say we you and I got in a debate, right? And you're saying we should do regulation A. And here's why: because it will do A, B, C, D, C, C, and D. And I come back I'm like, I I get it. I agree. It will do A, B, C, and D. But there's other stuff that might happen that no longer won't. And it's a it's a very it's it, it's it sounds stupid, right? Because there's a faith aspect to this. And by faith, I don't mean blind faith. I mean the the presumption that human ingenuity at scale, when unleashed and enabled, will come up with things that we can't imagine. You and I didn't think of Snapchat.
0: You and I didn't think of Facebook. You and I didn't think of Google. You and I didn't think of Apple. You but but someone did. It's it's easy to what well, let me let me see if I can recast what you're saying. It's easy to argue against regulation when someone's getting hurt but it's really hard to because you can point you can say well yeah but what's going to happen to this person's livelihood if you do this what's going to happen to that person's whatever like you're doing damage but and and that's often the basis of the debate that people have around regulation but you're going to hurt this person as a result but the problem is with with these unintended consequences and preventing things from happening you're doing damage to to the, the some future person that they haven't even had the opportunity to arrive at, and yet. you will like, ne- and you will never know the damage that exactly you did. you'll never exactly. ever know
1: how, what businesses were not started because of exploitation it, yeah. what opportunities were not taken advantage of,
0: and because they don't exist yet, it's really hard. For, because like when these debates happen, it's. It, it 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 tends to be simplistic. It's like, oh, but look, here's the benefit, and here's the cost. Like you're hurting this person, but you're hurting some person who hasn't even had the opportunity to build that thing that you're then hurting. And this is something that again should
1: resonate with our audience and people in tech because what's an argument we've made ab- about Apple, right? What is something that Apple gets right that that so many people did not? It's that Apple, more than any other company, has always valued the things the the experiences of using a product that can't be measured the, the, you can't put it on mm. a spreadsheet the advantage of like mm. v- having an integrated sort of product that smooths yeah. over rough edges for you and the reason why companies have traditionally not valued it is you can't measure it you can't put it on a spreadsheet but but apple's broad success is evidence that it exists Even if we can't measure it, just look at the company, right? The fact they are so successful, it says there has to be something there. We can't measure it, but we know it's there because this other thing is happening, right? It's the same sort of argument here. I can't measure the lack of regulation and the benefits that goes, but I can point to Silicon Valley. I can point to the United States broadly. I can point to economies that – focus on a lower regulatory environment, and have more dynamic economies. And it's the absence of something that is that is almost the best sort of evidence that you can come up with versus other very high regulatory economies that are much more scler- sclerotic.
0: Yeah. So I totally agree. Now, um, now that we've gone <laughs> through that so extensively, why don't you tell me your regulatory uh, suggestions for Facebook? The reason why I've gone on
1: this long-standing defense is because... I'm not, it, it's not that I'm anti regulation. It's that I'm pro, I'm pro opportunity, I'm pro opportunity benefits <laughs> as opposed to the opposite of opportunity costs. I'm pro enabling new things. I'm pro making yeah. new things possible. And the reason why I absolutely do, as a rule, favor regulation in the context of monopoly power. And thing you know whether that be structural with things like you know uh, the cable and and internet access mm-hmm. or whether in this case it be in the context of Facebook is the exact same reason the problem with with having a, a, a monopoly is that the monopoly now becomes the new limit on new opportunities it's new things that aren't created new opportunities that aren't taken advantage of because there is a monopoly player for for closing something new right the yep. the and in this case the number one thing that prompted me to write this was zuckerberg's manifesto and my extreme discomfort with him vowing to use facebook for political means that's number one without a question but number two mm-hmm. is snapchat frankly snapchat identified a fundamental not not weakness, but a hole in Facebook. By virtue of fa- Facebook derived its value by being the digital representation of everyone. But there's places we don't want to be our public selves. We want to be our private selves. Snapchat had this brilliant insight, nailed the market, has taken this great ladder up sort of strategy, expanded its market, and 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 what happens? Facebook can walk in, and the the power of its network is such it can basically completely stop the company in its tracks. From a business perspective, kudos to Facebook. From a is this good for society perspective? I have problems.
0: Again, as we talk about, I don't have problems with copying features. Yeah. And stuff like that. I wanted I wanted to make that point. Like, I don't think you can it's it's distinct because I don't want to walk back what we argued previously. Like if there are two young companies and they're competing and they're copying one another, then good. Like the notion of the notion of people in the tech industry being able to copy one another, fantastic. When you're copying from a position, uh, and I agree with what you're saying, when you're copying from a position of effectively monopoly strength over the network, such that you can copy and you can crush any competitor as a result of your incumbent position, that's something else. So, like li- the copying aside, I still support that argument, but the notion that it, that something should be done about the effective monopoly status that Facebook. Facebook has reached in social networks. And there's a pretty good argument that that's where it's got to. I think you're spot on. Exactly. And, and, and I think that Snapchat
1: struggles and, and, and the reality of their business and the way user growth was arrested by Facebook, by Instagram adding these features. And, you know, and then there's a, there's another point to this argument, which is the, the lock that Facebook and Google have on digital advertising. Generally, I think mm. that's, a, that's, I, I think that needs to be fleshed out more. Frankly, I put it in here, but that's probably one of the weaker points, but the, I'm very concerned about the impact on innovation and society of basically, yeah, them having monopoly on, on the network. And I think that's very problematic. And and that kind of gets to the, 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 the trouble with writing articles. And what have I always nailed you on, James, right? You've always raised these very fair – critiques of Facebook.
0: And my answer has always been, okay, what do you want to do now about what? it? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Difficult. And I'd be like, regulation as I peer up at the hammer sitting on the wall. Like, right. yeah, let me let me grab the hammer. Exactly. And so the problem is always sort of what you want. And so, and so that
1: was the part that I really spent the most time thinking about with this piece. And so I want to articulate the the answers I came up with and why I came up with them. And the, the reason why I think fits in with this broader sort of view of the world that I've tried to articulate on this podcast. Mm. So number one, I think no social network should be allowed to buy another social network. This should be just like a, this should be the presumption that this is anti-competitive. And if you think back, like how much different would the situation be right now if Facebook didn't own Instagram and if Facebook didn't own WhatsApp? I I think we would be in a much healthier environment. And again, this is, I push back against Mm. you and anyone else proposing So many proposals are about telling Facebook what to do, right? Mm. The best way to tell Facebook what to do is to have a competitor to Facebook and people can choose for themselves where to go. If there were multiple options and multiple alternatives for occupying your time, that's a much better check on Facebook's power than trying – like everyone just wants – everyone wants power. They just want power. Like Facebook would be okay if they did what I wanted them to do, right? No, the problem is the power, period. And the best way to get rid of that power is to have multiple competitors for the throne, as it were.
0: Yeah, no, I agreed. I I would say that, I mean, this avoids the whole notion of... um, Uh, it's it's telling them what to do is fine when again like we we talked about when it's your side in power oh yeah that's okay but then as soon as it's someone you disagree with again you don't want this idea of uh of 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 it potentially being abused and once you've established the mechanism to tell them what to do like that that once you've walked down that path, it's so easy to come back and revisit it and change. Oh no, just tweak this and tweak that and tweak this, and and then suddenly you end up in some. You can end up in some pretty dark places as a result of that. So I agree. That being said, when I, in my defence, when I was saying tell Facebook what to do, I was I was more in the lines of like let's have some transparency around the way the algorithm works. Yes, fair enough. But fair that enough. that 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 is also problematic as well. Well, it's problematic um, because
1: it's it's an invitation for spammers, right? That, right. That, that's the right. other people always forget about this. Like, the reason yeah. why they're secretive about this is because, as, and you see this with Google all the time, right? The it's always a fight to keep spam from figuring out the algorithm and, and this, yeah. j- jumping to the top. So, all okay, right. So, that's number one. I, and again, if I don't know what the route to an antitrust lawsuit against Facebook would be, again, I'm, I'm, that frightens me, frankly. And it frightens me just because the history of these lawsuits I don't think is great. And I, I'm, it's a really, Dangerous hammer. Maybe, I mean, who knows? But if there were, like the remedy I think would be making them spin off Instagram and, mm. and WhatsApp. Anyhow, that's number one. Yep. Number two, number two, and this is co- sort of the core of 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 where I would take this, and is number two, all social networks should be required to enable social graph portability. And what I mean by that is we've actually seen this done. No, there's all kinds of proposals out there, including one from the aforementioned Tim Wu about this, like, standard data format, blah, 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 where everyone owns their own data. And it all sounds like a great idea on paper. The problem is, one, there's no path to implementation. Like, how do you actually accomplish this? And two, when you start over-defining stuff, you're foreclosing opportunities, right? I'm allergic to that. I'm allergic to defining mm. any regulatory agency, whether they're private or public, defining how stuff ought to work. But the one thing we can enable is this portability. And the example is Twitter and Instagram. And we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but the Instagram bootstrapped its network. No pun intended for people who want to Twitter bootstrap. Uh, Instagram bootstrapped its network off of the Twitter network. You could import all your contacts on Twitter into Instagram, and it went from zero to 100 in a way that, like, Snapchat, for example, could not. Snapchat had to earn its network. It had to actually get people to use it because it was a good product. Instagram didn't. Instagram took a shortcut. And to Twitter's, you know, Twitter should have, from a business perspective, Twitter should have locked that up. But from a societal perspective, that should be mandatory. Like, imagine if you could start a social network, you could import all your Facebook friends. I mean, that's why Instagram has grown so much today. It's Instagram. You open up Instagram, your Facebook friends are on there every time. So-and-so just add, join Instagram. It's just, and like, did Instagram grow to 500 million users because it's a great product? In part, but it also grew because it's been piggybacking on Facebook ever since it was piggybacking on Twitter in a way that Snapchat was not and Twitter was not.
0: It's, this is actually reminding me of a previous era where, uh, uh, one of the, one of the regulatory requirements that was, um, uh- Uh, pushed on microsoft was uh network portability which allowed linux to connect to and and apple machines as well to connect to microsoft networks and then just more broadly the whole way that the the internet then enabled competition between computer like different manufacturers of computers and allowed apple to get back into the game and fundamentally allowed ios devices to even exist that notion of portability is a great one i completely agree with you around uh not specifying the protocols but you also want to make sure that the manufacturers don't try and or that the application creators don't hamstring the ability to to port the network in some way like i could imagine them it, it, they like microsoft yeah, did yeah right like you want to make so i there's a there's a balance there but i think your point is very well made and the, the, again the
1: critical thing here is the 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 goal of this is not to is not to exercise facebook's power for one's own ends the the, the one's own ends oh, yeah, got it. <laughs> the the goal here is to enable competition, competition. for facebook again yes because the, if we could have like you should be able to leave facebook i mean what's the number one feature of any network it's whether your friends or family are there. And and everyone yeah. talks about it. It goes on and on. No, Facebook. No one actually likes Facebook. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone's on Facebook because that's where your friends or family are. That's the whole reason why Zuckerberg thinks he can build all these groups that are gonna change the world to, to his point of view, is because everyone's already on Facebook. That's so that's why they do groups there, right? And here's and here's the thing. Here's where I would I would hammer Zuckerberg's manifesto to the wall is this point right here. If Zuckerberg believed what he said if he actually believed the formation of all kinds of groups that will that will re-enable that will re-enable this social connective tissue that he thinks is critical to the world being a great place to live if he actually believed that this is exactly what he would do because he would allow a thousand flowers to bloom all kinds of group applications some on Facebook some elsewhere all leveraging the Facebook social graph if he actually cared about the societal impacts, and the positive impact of groups on society, he would do this tomorrow, and he could do this tomorrow. And the fact that he won't, the fact that he won't shows that, one, it shows that the societal impact is not what's most important to him. And if you aren't scared yet, that should scare you. He is proposing to take actions that impact the global political climate community And he doesn't even care
0: the most about the world. He cares the most about Facebook. Yeah, that's such a good point. Like when you frame it like that, it becomes very, very clear because he can, like, he... he he could do that. There is uh, in a traditional corporate setting, there would be checks and balances. Facebook could open to up an API him. tomorrow. They could open up an API tomorrow that said everyone has access to
1: our graph. We want to see a thousand followers bloom around group networks and enabling sports leagues and no more bowling alone. I mean, that's the book that he's clearly inspired by. Like, we want to enable all this stuff, so we're opening up our API
0: because we think this is important, and they're not, and they won't. Point. The point is the. the like for in a traditional organization with a traditional share structure that would not be allowed to happen because it, it, uh, because of the economic cost like they would be giving up so much uh, economic value by doing that because there's so much value around a, uh, like there's so much value embedded in the social graph but the fact that he is not doing that and he can because of the incredible uh, power that he has vested in his own control speaks exactly to that point. like there is no rationale for why he's not allowing it to happen other than what you just said that his order of priorities his order of priorities is one Facebook, two all this stuff that I'm spouting about like making the world a better place.
1: Right and it's not and to your point it's not necessarily facebook's profitability right because you wouldn't want to get make facebook political at all you wouldn't want to create you wouldn't want to right. push me over the line to write an article saying facebook is is a problem
0: yeah i mean yep. like
1: and i i have written i will continue to write articles about facebook's business right i think from it's, it's been something that i think <laughs> is beneficial to techy like i've been pretty consistent this is a dominant company in a way that most people in silicon valley don't appreciate and i will continue to write that but I, but I will also now write, and I'm going to continue to that. That's a problem.
0: Can I, can I, um, can I edit one thing in? Uh, I don't know if you can make it fit, but like I would love it if you could. Now that you've told us why regulation is bad, Ben, what are your regulatory suggestions for Facebook? <laughs> If you can make it fit, that would be amazing. I, no, I, no, I,
1: I'm, I, I'm kinda, I know you're joking, but I'm glad you framed it that way because, again, I'm not anti-regulation. I, yeah. I am pro-properly understanding the yeah. costs of regulation. And actually, it's my articulation of the cost of
0: regulation that, in this case, lead me to proposing regulation. Because you, you're not – you don't cry wolf over this stuff. Like, I, I'm probably guilty of it or at least getting close to it. But when you say it because of your position on it and because of the way you think, I'm actually like, okay, he's serious about – it must be pretty bad because he does not want to – like, he is not a pro-regulation person.
1: Yeah. N- no, not, not at all. And again, and, I, and that's why I want to make it clear. I just made this massive – defense, and I know I'm, we're going to get the facts on Twitter. or Ben some, like, crazy white-wing libertarian. I'm, I'm not at all. Like – and that's why I push back against any label, like that's like you know I, that's why I support the reason I, why do I support universal insurance? Like I'm aware of there's massive costs. and in this case, actually, the costs of, of like universal insurance are pretty easy to calculate, like they're huge. Mm. I'm concerned about the entrepreneur yes. opportunities that yes. are foregone because people are worried about having health insurance right it, so i I would say, if anything the a common thread in a lot of my political position is valuing and appreciating opportunity costs and the potential for for being greater
0: than we are yeah i yeah, that's like that's yes. That's such a good articulation of that point. In in that framing and that example, it's perfect. In it's the perfect example to highlight what you're driving at that we're missing out on all this stuff because people don't feel comfortable taking risks that could who knows how many more of these amazing tech companies could have been born had people felt comfortable taking the risk, but because it wasn't there, they didn't feel comfortable to take that leap. Not, not just that, how many more amazing like restaurants, how many more amazing blogs, how yeah. many more- more amazing, like,
1: and, 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 and yeah, we're in this world where we're worried about automation taking away jobs appropriately. So, but the solution is not to go backwards, we can't go backwards. That world is gone. We have to push forward, we have to enable a new society with all sorts of new opportunities. And it's never been more critical than right now in 2017 that we disable, break down, break down opportunity costs, that we break down these barriers and we enable human potential. I do believe. In progress. But I believe that progress has to be fought for and it has to be achieved. And, I, and I, I will push for policies and regulations that enable that above anything else. And in this case, I happen to think that point, I'm not some regulations out. In this case, Facebook is limiting that.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you joined the party.
1: <laughs> anyhow, uh, now that I'm all worked up, uh, we are thanks to Mailchimp for sponsoring this episode. A great small, a, a small business that 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 the sort of business that we need uh, going yes. forward. So anyhow, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one. All right, bye bye.